0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the 80s Decade of Crime. I am your host, Luke Pacheco, and I am recording from the comfort of my closet right now. I decided to try to get the best sound experience. I put myself in here and shut the doors, and it's nice and quiet, and hopefully it sounds better than all of my other recordings. So this week on 80s Decade of Crime, we are going to be talking about The Acid King, a.k.a. Ricky Casso. Now, also in this episode, I am going to do a brief history of Satanism because it has been a very large part of this episode and our previous episode about Richard Ramirez. So Ricky, Ricky Casso was born on March 29th, 1967 in Huntington, New York. Now, Ricky was a pretty normal kid by comparison to all these other serial killers I do things on his mom was a history teacher at the local school and his dad even coached the football team he had three younger sisters he was the eldest brother and he had a bright future ahead of him of being a star athlete because dad was going to teach him play football and it was going to be really great but that all started the change at the very young age when he dived into the world of drug use now, Ricky's first time doing drugs was apparently in the seventh grade, and it was in art class. Uh, his friend Mark Fisher, who they were friends, said that Ricky was tripping on some and he drew a dragon on the board in art class and said that it started to move. And also, according to Mark, the first time Ricky got into trouble when he was in eighth grade, and he stole a case of high C from the church cafeteria. And stealing from the church is what led him on the beginning of his dark Path. now ricky was experimenting with like literally all the drugs he did pcp lsd weed mescaline i had to look up what mescaline was exactly it's another hallucinogenic i've heard of it before a big version of it is peyote he did that among everything else it's said that on occasion that he would also deal drugs but he was really just kind of too busy doing them all himself so he wasn't much of a drug dealer, but really just a drug user. Now, starting with the high sea incident, Ricky was just getting into all kinds of trouble with theft and drug use. And this is when he, when he was getting in trouble, he dubbed himself the Acid King. So that's where his name comes from, because he's just tripping on some LSD, tripping on some acid, stealing stuff, and is just parading around in this like drug fueled craze. Around eighth grade, when Ricky's only, like, 14 is when he started to dive into devil worship. All these accounts uh, that I read that Ricky, he would frequently go into the woods and, like, as that as in New York, he would go to, like, the local cemetery and all these, he'd go there with his buddies sometimes, and this is where he went to, like, communicate with the devil. Ricky himself said that Ricky told one of his friends that the devil would come in this form of a glowing tree that sprouted out of, out of the ground after he would chant Satan, Satan over and over again. And that's, Ricky and his buddies were just like huge into the fad of Satanism in the 80s and they even wanted to start their own cult. But it was later on discovered that they weren't a part of any actual Satanist cult. Now, this is the part where I'm going to talk to you a little about Satanism. And for most of history, Satanism was never an organized religion, quote-unquote. It For a long time, until really the 19th century, it wasn't recognized as an actual religion. So Satanism in the mainstream was spread through like art and literary means. And what it's about, obviously, it is about <laughs> worshipping Satan, the devil. You know, whether it's Lucifer, the fallen angel, or some other similar depictions of him. In Dante, in Dante's Inferno, his poem Inferno in the 14th century, he depicted the devil as this evil monster. So, you know, the big, the big red guy with horns and such, as we all, you know, what we think of as when we think of the devil. Or if you've seen the Tom Cruise film, legend Tim Curry, I believe, plays the devil and in, in that movie. It's like he's the big red-horned devil guy. One of the most popular things, and then uh, the other most popular depiction of Satan was actually created by, I'm going to try to say his name right, Eliphas Levi, who described him like the horned goat Baphomet, who is a pagan deity. Just look at Baphomet and you'll recognize he's the goat with legs, he's sitting in like meditation, he has the the star on his forehead and he has like the goat head with the horns. You know, it's a crazy picture. And Satan was even, later on, a lot of people depicted him as like an anti-hero. So not necessarily like he wasn't the bad guy, he was the anti-hero, like a a rebel for the people. Uh, Aleister Crowley, one of the biggest names in Satanism, really depicted him kind of as his hero. He said that he brought rebellion and soul to the universe or the Soul of Rebellion, I believe it was. And Satanism was made cool, quote-unquote, by Anton LaVey. Now, this is where I learned a lot about Satanism. Anton, he was in a circus at like, a very young age, and he was, he got into like hypnosis and magic, and he always had this crazy... He was always intrigued by the supernatural. And later on, after the circus, he actually went to college, and he got a degree in criminology and became a forensic photographer for the San Francisco Police Department. After a while, Anton left all of that, and he wanted to go full-time into the mystical and supernatural. And in 1966, he started the Church of Satan. It was out of his all-black Victorian house in San Francisco. And so at his church, he had these gatherings. It said on one website, they called them nightclub shows. This is where... He had these gatherings which comprised of, quote, like, rituals. So these were his shows that he would do. Uh, he had, like, naked women, and he would do, like, these chanting rituals, and he would invite all of his guests to participate. Anton was from the circus. He had the theatrical element to this, and this is what really drew everybody into it. It became really big. It spread all across America, and he'd even gotten to Hollywood. And... He even had celebrity converts into, like, the Church of Satanism. Like, Sammy Davis Jr. was one of his first people. And in 1969, he even had the Satanic Bible, which he wrote and published. And it had his mix of, like, you know, all his different rituals and black magic, the occult. That's the Satanic Bible. You know, there's the Bible, and there's the Satanic Bible, and he wrote that. Anton, he continued his work preaching the word of the devil until his death. On October 29th in 1997 and on his death certificate it actually says he died on October 31st Hallows Eve thus maintaining his mystical charm even after death when Satanism took a big turn is when it had its connection to the Charles Manson murders that's in the 70s because he was a known Satanist And then that led on to the Satanic Panic of the 1980s. And that was really perpetuated by the Christian church. And they were telling people that, like, Satanists were kidnapping children and committing all these murders and just wreaking havoc on society. And there is an actual, physical, Satanic temple that opened in 2016 in Salem, Massachusetts. And they were recognized as a religion by the state, and so they have the tax-free church thing. So they actually have a physical location now, and I believe they try to get some statues built of Baphomet, pagan deity. That is the representation of Satan. Let's go back to the acid king. This is where the devil led him. This is the path that Ricky followed. So one night at a party, Ricky was passed out high in his own supply and he was you know passed out at the party and his friend Gary Lowers I think that's how I say his name apparently stole 10 bags of PCP or angel dust or you know it varies whatever drug it was from you know site to site he stole 10 bags of PCP from his jacket when he was passed out at the party now Ricky later on he confronted him and but Gary was apparently only be able to give back five of the bags I don't know if he did the other five and he said that he was going to give him 50 bucks also in placement of the other five bags it was on the night of june 19th 1984. ricky was the young age of 17 and he took his friends james and albert who were also 17 and 18 and they took good old gary and they led him into the woods now all these guys were just teenagers it was in later testimony that from Ricky's friend, James Troyano, this is how he described what happened that night. So it was in the woods, and they were tripping on some LSD. They were all hanging out around the campfire. And it's said that a lot of the wood at that time was, was all too wet to burn. So at one point, Ricky demanded that Gary donate parts of his clothes to the fire. Apparently he had to give his socks, and he had to tear off his sleeves from his jacket and put them in the fire to burn. Now Gary refused to give up all of his clothes, and that's when Ricky attacked him. So Ricky attacked him in the wrestling on the ground, and then Ricky, he stabbed Gary in the back. And he was shouting at him to, he told him to profess his love for Satan. But according to James, Gary... Instead, shouted out his love for his mother. He said, I love you, Mom. And Ricky just proceeded to stab Gary in the back multiple times until he was dead. And this was all while his friends just watched. There was a back-and-forth testimony that it was either James or his friend Albert actually like held down Gary and like you know helped Ricky kill him, but then later on that, that they denied that in court. Then, after Gary was dead, James and Ricky then moved his body deeper into the woods, and Ricky then, when he was on the ground, he leaned over his body, and he began to chant something about Satan. That's what James said. And Ricky saw Gary's head twitch, and he thought he was still alive, so he proceeded to stab him multiple times in the face. But and according to Ricky, what Ricky said was is that, After he killed him and all this happened, he said the devil manifested in the form of this black crow. And he took it as a sign that, like, Satan approved of his killing. And it said that the kids, they just covered his body lightly up with some leaves, and they just took off. They left him there in the woods. So the aftermath is, it's really, this is what really revved up this killing. Now, Gary was actually never reported missing, because he frequently ran away from home, And in the weeks following, uh, Ricky actually boasted about his killing. He brought a bunch of his friends to the gravesite uh, to show them his body. It's just terrible. And then so one day, on July 4th, somebody finally gave an anonymous tip to the police saying that Gary's body was in a shallow grave in the woods. And they went out there with with a bloodhound and they found Gary's body. Now, the next day, they obviously, like, knew who killed them. They found Ricky and James are passed out, hung over in this car. And so they both got arrested. When they found the body, Gary's face was beyond recognition from his stab wounds. Now, James, in trial, was actually acquitted uh, because his lawyer got it on the basis that he was so high that he just didn't know what he was doing. And so James got acquitted in trial. But Ricky, Ricky actually never went to trial for the murder of Gary because two days after his arrest, he just hung himself with his bed sheet in his jail cell. And that so ended the acid King. Thanks for listening, everybody. I really enjoyed writing this episode once again and, you know, doing just a little bit of a shallow dive into the history of the ever-elusive Satanism Give us a like, give us a subscribe, wherever you're listening. We have a bunch of listeners on Pandora, so shout out to all you Pandora people. You can find us on Instagram. I'll post a video of me in the closet recording this. That's at 80s, a decade of crime. That's on Instagram. And shout out to the editor slash co-writer, Zariah Hendry. Kyle Hendry, who also did the, uh, he composed the little soundtrack we got going here. And this is all produced by Zariah. And, you know, I'm just here in my closet. I do the recording. And I type a lot. That's what I do. So thanks, everybody, for listening. This is Luke Pacheco, signing off.